This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to episode four of Rugby Jubbly. Rugby Jubbly, where later on we'll be talking to author David Braley, who's co-written a rugby book for children with ex-Wales international James Hook. We're going to have some Twitter and post-bag comments from Rugby Jubbly listeners. And we're asking, would you let your child play rugby later on? But first of all... Where should we start? I think England-France is the game to get out the way first, because I think it's... I just... I don't know whether to be really depressed or to go, it's actually rubbish. But what did you I'll think of what, it? i tell you what, when I watched that game I didn't enjoy watching it I must say because I think you just know you you knew that England had sort of 800 caps between them and France had about 68 and as much as you think to just play the side in front of you you can't help thinking we should be smashing these boys (laughs) we should be absolutely rinsing them and it was just uh, oh it's just a like a winter just a slugfest, wasn't it? I mean, it was just... Yeah, I mean, I made a fool of myself with all my predictions in terms of... I predicted that Eddie Jones would... Because this is what would have taken the pressure off England. Eddie Jones should have fielded a really inexperienced team to match the French inexperience and then being beaten by 20 points would go well it wasn't the proper teams but I well, reckon why? what's that, the no, point I mean I you I know I'm always having a go at Eddie Jones he may well have been under pressure from the people who run the cup and the RFU or whatever to go <laughs> what, don't to feel the rubbish team you know, don't, yeah, don't feel, but don't feel the rubbish team to lets down the tournament. Let the French let down the tournament. I mean, I think the French, you know, should be in trouble for this, but not feel. <laughs> I'd quite like to see France banned from playing well, until well, after who? the next World Cup because they're so good. Yeah, let's ban them a good idea. because they they've brought good, the, they? they've ruined the Autumn Nations Cup. But they are good. They are they, good. Well, they are very good, but also you, you've got nothing to lose. Even players who are like second and third string French players are going to be very good. England would hey, turn well, out a pretty good second and third string team of players who've got nothing to lose going, let you say it was the opposite way around. We'd have lots of those Exeter boys who for some reason don't get in the team, like Joe Simmons and Side. Sam Simmons, yeah, really yeah, going yeah. for it, launching yeah. surprises, nothing to lose. I... I felt I felt sorry for England, so I do feel a little bit sorry for Eddie Jones, even though I think he should resign. So <laughs> you're all over the place. You are all over the place. Um, I, you say that they, you know the French team had nothing to lose. You could say the same about like Italy every week. You, you know they have nothing to lose. They might as well just chuck the kitchen sink at them, and they just they just don't have the players. No, you know, exactly. I don't know what point I'm making here. France, 
I don't know, man. I, I don't know what happened on, on Saturday. We, we came up against, and this will tie into what I was saying in the last couple of weeks, we came up against a really, really tough defence as put yes. together by Sean Edwards. But um, also... The man t- you think France or doesn't need, the man <laughs> you think is unrequired in international rugby... I've has honestly, done an I've, absolute number on England there. Yeah, but do you know what? This is exactly what you... So I don't want to... We, we, we keep bringing up the same subject because it is... I know I won't change my viewpoint well, on it. I've been listening to other pods on it and people talk about... And they do yeah. talk about how he gets in players' faces. He makes play, people... He's, he's psychological. Attitude. But that's my whole point, that actually he's not bringing any clever new way of defending. It's literally all but, attitude. And I'm saying that could be done by you and me. Now. It's a simple game. You and me could, it's if we got the psychologist, get a therapist instead of a defence coach. They, they don't, they know how to defend, but Sean Edwards is that difference of, um, of he sort of, he apparently makes it personal. Apparently there's players on the field who say, when he's your defence coach, you're scared of messing up because you know you're facing Sean. And you, you, you miss a yeah. tackle and go, I'm going to get hell from Sean for that. He's on that's them. That's a unique I mean, personality, isn't it? There aren't many of those people around. You know, that, yeah, that no, is, that's, somebody, that's somebody you want to play for. And that yeah. is, that, that's, that's what they say. Like, John Mitchell's doing a good job as well in England. They yeah. say the hardest thing is to get a team to buy into your philosophy. It's the hardest thing to do because they all know how to play rugby. Yeah. And why would they, why do they listen, why should they listen to you instead of, that person, and you have to prove to them why you should listen, why they should listen to you. So it's it's worth its weight in gold. But do you think like England coughed up a couple of chances, didn't they? Like Watson should have scored in the. That corner. was really worrying that they think? couldn't convert. Because how come Exeter yeah. seem to be able to always score when they're right by the line, but England can't? Do you know what I mean? Well, there's that the... as well. Yeah, I mean, Gen- is... couldn't get. Out. None of them could get. Out. I mean, that's the defence, a motivated defence. But that mm. that one time where we put a piece together in the backs and it got flung out to I mean it was perfect pass when George Ford flung out to Anthony Watson and he couldn't I, I you can't help but think if it was Johnny May it would have gone over I don't know but do you know what I noticed about the way and I love Elliot Daly I think he's a really really good player but a lot of players did this and Johnny May though did it once did it a couple of times as well is when the ball was kicked long and they were running out the front there was possibly going go wide go Go, you know, they seem to. They ran back into their forwards. They ran back into, um, you know, into the congested where they had support. They're so worried well, they about losing get the ball. Do they? That's the, yeah, that is the no sort of number one, one crime. In no one rugby. takes that chance though, and that's what makes, you know, chance. That's what makes it so boring when they do decide not to kick. They're just running straight back into the forwards for for yeah. support, and it does. I think and the it game's means in a bit of a bit of a state at the moment, isn't it? The international game. Isn't it? Well, it's, I, in, it's in one of those. One of those yeah. dodgy cycles. There was some very funny Twitter comments, Twitter abuse about this game because oh, yeah. the referee, I thought, Billy Vanapola did knock it on. I saw that live. I went, that's a knock on when I England. Didn't see that. Well, I had it was, my eyes closed. It was in the passage of play before we before we um, scored the try, and right. uh, and and so I, the referee got loads and loads of abuse. And it, 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 to say the truth, it was loads of Welsh people and Scottish people and Irish people. French people is fine, but I think when we play France. Can we get a break from the abuse that we get from the Scots, the Welsh and the Irish? Because they do jump <laughs> on anyone who's playing England, any ref. They sit there watching, desperate for our failure. And uh, and just stop it. Go yeah. away and watch your own game. Think France and it, Italy yeah. is... The, is, is <laughs> Think fr- about what you're doing. <laughs> no, but France and Italy is a place where England fans can go to get away from being the sort of terminally hated. Anyway, that's my little chippy point. But um, no, one, I, no, no, one, no one hates Italy, do they? 
Nobody like no, when, but no when, one hates no, a country that's there's rubbish. There's no sort or something. of rivalry with Italy. It's like it's like oh, it's Italy, lovely. We can go and like play Italy now. Exactly. No one well, goes. I, oh, the bloody I, Italians! I would you know? I would really enjoy losing to Italy because I think that would be fun. We've not lost to it. We're the one team that hasn't. <laughs> I think it would be. If, re- if, I, I think the novelty would be interesting, but I think yeah. I'd feel desperately sad. <laughs> but no, I just, I just think it's. I don't know. I have. I, 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 oh, I've told you. I'm sure I've said this on the pod. It's my. It's my little party. It's one of those comments that I've made to everybody. Going, my dream season is England beating everybody and then losing to Italy, so, losing to just Italy. to be a little bit crazy and a little bit mad. Anyway, can I just, yeah. can I just read out some of the French comments on because yes. it is, yes. it is like something from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You don't deserve that win, and your play is so ugly. Um, respect. <laughs> this is this is because this is because the England rugby team, England rugby, put a tweet out going. Some of them are res- quite good looking. But they were talking about it's all about respect at the end, and they're talking. They're showing the players hugging and shaking hands at the end of the match. And this is some of the responses to them going. It's all about respect. Respect when win by this cheat. Recognize it. Then we can say you win. Otherwise, you will be a thief, and shame on you. That's what, <laughs> if, if if you respect the other, if toi respect the game, if toi respect rugby denounce the refair i like that can, let's call can referee I just, refair. Can, can i just if, if i was responding to him can i refer him to the world cup uh quarterfinals when the reason the french lost is because their second row lamped the welsh yes. player straight in the face <laughs> exactly which, is, which was extremely disrespectful and i think it happened in the six nations of scotland as well their prop their prop oh, no. The French prop, prop just punched smacked, uh, Jamie Ritchie. Just smacked no, him. that's a. Um, There's no but, respect but this, there. But this whole thing where they talk about respect, some goes, "Fuck you." Is that respectable enough? <laughs> <They're really> good. <laughs> that's um, good. Uh, I like him. He's had a few drinks, hasn't he? Uh, it's a scandal. England team play very bad. They win thanks to referee. It's a shame. Cheaters. Bravo, La France. I enjoyed the abuse about that, and I think that was that was great. France made it that not as special as if they'd had the main team there, even then, because we're still guessing about, oh, well, I suppose this team played this way. England may well have been that te- that tense because they weren't, because they thought, oh, we should be winning by 20 points. So maybe that made them like that. Yeah. So France, I'm still blaming France and they should be banned from world rugby for four years until we can play the World Cup in their country, yeah. but they're not allowed to play in it. But they're not allowed uh, to that's play That's my, it. I'm I, deliberately I saying outrageous things to get attention. <laughs> I'm I know, sorry. I know. <laughs> Clickbait, they call this. But having said that, the crowd were a bit disgraceful because the French kicker got booed and there's only 2,000 people in. So they let in the wankers. I know there are people from the NHS and we love them, but if that was NHS people, we shouldn't be applauding them anymore. Or maybe they just weren't really rugby fans, but you don't... I think, they can, I think, I think the NHS can boo the French kickers. <laughs> they've been, been through enough. They can do that. They can do what they want. If you've had a hard shift, you go and boo a French kicker if you want yeah, to. That's very absolutely. sorry. Go and do what you like. That would be very, oh, that's very that's that's actually yeah. That's that's very that's 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 a very good point. Then we'll yeah, if you please do so. send us an email or, 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 or an email right. or They've Twitter. Earned the right to boo yeah. the French. Should we quickly do the other games as well, or do you want to? I yeah, because I listened to um, I listened to uh, Ireland Scotland on the radio. Can I tell you my prediction for this game? So the, the final yeah, score on. was 31-16 to Ireland. My prediction, astonishing my predictions, 25-22 to Scotland. 
Yeah, so, you always go but, for the underdog, Hal. No, but, no, 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 but I've got, no, but I think, no, because the Why England France game. Why did you pick game, Scotland? I don't know if this means anything. I gave Ireland nine points too few and Scotland nine points too many. Too, so, oh, that's interesting. Ooh, spooky. That's so it maybe means stat. something. Anyway, yeah, I just it worked. It probably I just, does. means you were nine points out on both sides. Exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. what it means. <laughs> um, uh, Scotland were in control for the first half virtually. Scotland played really well first half and, well, end, towards the end of the first half, I think, was when they got Duncan Taylor got yellow carded. They were 9-3 up at one point. They were playing very solidly. Duncan Taylor yeah. is done for a deliberate knock-on. He gets sent off and they kind of, it shifts, the whole momentum, you know, the whole, the whole way a game shifts in momentum. Yeah. And that's what, to- yeah, that's what yeah, happened yeah. with Scotland. They totally... Um, really? They never seem to come it, back. Because I, I was listening to Andy Nichol commentating on Radio 5 and it it didn't sound like... It, it, sounded like uh, it sounded like Scotland hadn't taken enough opportunities. That's how he was framing it. But I think, you know, Jamie Ritchie, uh, Fraser Brown, I think it's good. They've got, they've got good players. Stuart Hogg is definitely going to be Lions. You know, with the years yeah. when we used to have one Scott in the Lions or none... I think they yeah. should have about four. Joe Marler described the last Lions tour as a two-month stag do. Really? That's what, that's what he called it, yeah. Yeah. He did, he, mind you, he was going through a bit of tough time, I think. But he didn't play... I don't think he... He, he wasn't a test starter, and he was a midweek See, that's, player. that's be my dream, to be picked to play for the Lions, but never have to play. <laughs> so oh, that you no just way, have... Man. I, you wouldn't, I <laughs> No, but just have a lovely tour, sit on the bench, sit in the stadiums. No, I mean, me now. <laughs> Drink but coffee. not have to face the horror of it. South Africa are going to be massive and really physical. I know. And but really you, passionate. You, you'd have to play at some point, How You couldn't just sit on the bench to, if, you know. I know, but that's why, I'm not, you, yeah, that's why I'm not a top player. Because I would mm. always think, oh, that's good. Anyway, my roundup of Scotland, Ireland is Scotland are going places. I think Ireland's still relying on. Too many old players. Too, I mean, they, you know, Keith Earls scored Ireland. twice. Ireland. Yeah. Keith Earls, Earls has been around. He was on the 2009 Lions tour, Keith Yeah, Earls. I think he's about 33. There was a moment, his first try, uh, which was a little kick. It was lovely. Set, nobody seems to make a fuss about it. Sexton did this lovely little kick to the corner. Mm. They already had the penalty, but he did this little kick. Sort of, he sort of dummy, he sent it the wrong way because he did a kick back against where the way play was going. And Earls jumped on it and, and managed to score. And um, that might be, you know, it was an exciting moment yeah. where I went, oh, that unlocked a really tough defence. That's the way, you know, it was just yeah, the way. Yeah. Can we quickly do Wales, Italy? Because I don't want to show yeah. off here. OK. Oh, did you you would be laughing right at my score? predictions. We've been laughing at my predictions. No, I made a half-time prediction. Let me set the scene. 14-13, uh, Wales are down to 14 men with Josh Adams off for a Simbin. And so Wales are down to 14 men, 14-13 to them. Half time, and I said this is going to be 38 19 to Wales. The final score 38 18. And it's a shame because you because you like Italy, you like them to win, don't you? I do like them to win, but I do yeah. also again. I have the same thing with Wales that I have with Ireland. I think Wales and Ireland are in trouble. I think Wales again, I agree. A, a, I it's agree. not just Wales have had a bad season, their big players are getting older and they don't seem to be enough. Coming through. I mean, and you know, was, Tipperick was brilliant. Falatau was the best player. In the game. Gareth Davis came on the scrum half, played brilliantly, and it's still relying on those players over thirty to actually get you over the line. I, yeah. I, like in, in Ireland, um, all those old, great, older, older, great players are all out of contract um, like oh, really? this year. 
Oh, next year, yeah. So mm. Omani, Sexton, um, CJ Stander, Kian he- Kian, Kian Healy, they're all out of contract. And mm. so, because it's all central contracts, isn't it, in Ireland? Um, so if, if they don't renew, that's that's the sort of backbone of the Irish team. Um, yeah. Off to France and all over the place to try and earn a load of money just before, you know, they, they retire. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a... It's going to be, it could be a tricky few years for Ireland. Come on, let's let's move on to let's move on to the game of the weekend. Yeah, Fiji, game of the weekend. Fiji. Fiji. Did you watch this? I did. This well, game. I watched the. I watched this. I watched the end of the first half and uh, all of the second half. That's you. God, that's on, we're almost. I did almost exactly the same thing that I went back and watched the first half again, or the first twenty minutes again. I was moved by this game, but also quite angry that more oh. of these Fijians hadn't been picked up by English clubs and we developed them here oh, and yeah. then we made yeah. them, got them playing for us. Um, they are like unbelievable human beings, aren't they? They are the nightmare. The Fijian build is almost the perfect build for rugby because it's the one you look at and go, oh, it's a big guy and he's got long legs and he runs. And they're so you know, it's, fast. It's so fast. And the offloads. And they hadn't played for 424 balance. days and they had all the COVID stuff going on. And it's like... Being playing at age level, you know, going that team's not under 14s. You know, when you turn up, yeah, yeah, exactly. When you play, when, when you come out, when you come out onto the pitch and you see the other side and they're all huge, and you think, oh my god! And it's that it's that winger <laughs> guy. So was scary it... when that happened, wasn't it? There were some there were some good tackles going. In. I mean, from from the from the Georgians, like the little scrum half tackling props and second rows. And, I mean, real brave stuff. And you just thought, oh my god, you poor sod. Exactly. And they did smashed. They did do well. It was only what was it? Was the final score 38 24. So they did get taken apart, uh, Georgia, but they did come back. They did score some tries. They got good back row, I think. Um I think um I think that's partly because Fiji hadn't played for, you know, two months. If if I think it would have been a slightly bigger score if they had. It looked like Georgia were getting better. But maybe it's a tactic because Argentina played that amazing game against New Zealand, having not played for ages. Fiji came out and played amazingly, having not played for ages. Maybe everybody does need to be shut in hotel rooms, wind themselves up into yeah. a fury to yeah, play really yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. I did put out a tweet saying Fiji look like a team. They've, they're playing like a team that, that look like they've been starved of any competition. They yeah. look really, really hungry. And up for it, didn't they? It was just so inter- entertaining and brilliant, and and I think surely they could go in the Six Nations. They should take Italy's place in the I Six Nations. I was thinking that. I was thinking that. But it's such a ridiculous time difference, isn't it? Fiji is about as bad as you can possibly get. No, what, I've I mean, worked it's... it out. Load, <laughs> first of all, loads of their players are based in Europe. Now they don't have big stadiums there. They have like ten thousand seaters or something, but hardly any what, away fans. Yeah, we'll go to Fiji. But I think we play all the Fiji home games in a block. Then they come away, you get two weeks to readjust, have a two-week break so they readjust. All their home games like there, so we all go over to Fiji. Then everybody comes back, gets two weeks to readjust, and then we play all the other all the other games. I mean, it is so sad when you think how many players are just nicked from that part of the world. On, I know, you know, I know. And they would, you would go sad. abroad and play. You know, oh, I want to play in a World Cup final. You would try and play for New Zealand. But things, if they all stayed in Tonga, Fiji and Samoa, those would be major yeah. rugby nations. But they'd have to have a lot of money poured into them. It's all, I don't know. Anyway. It's um, unfair is what it is. It is, it is. So is that all our roundup of the games? I think so, yeah. I, I watched Bristol Northampton and I, it struck me because we've been talking, it, it's all been about defence, 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 unlocking defences. Mm. And Bristol just looked brilliant. 
I know they played very well last season, but their attack is just, they really do. They, it's the dream game, you know? It's that sort of sevens game that they're yeah. trying to adapt for 15s. And it looks, it, I really, really hope for the um, for the good of rugby that Bristol have another cracking season and, you know, they finish top four because it's such a brilliant advert for the game. They're just flinging it wide and running it wide and having a go from everywhere. Um and you know their and their defense is okay, but their attack is just so exciting to watch. They've got some great players as well, really good. Is that, and some of their players are away with England. If, if I can mention, well, Kyle Sinclair's away, isn't he? Sinclair. But also Ben Earl and Max Malins from Sarries are spending a season at Bristol. And Max Malins is he's good. Well, he he came on for a bit, didn't he? That England France game. You only saw him I for think, a bit. I, I think he I, looks really good. Well, I saw him when he was really young. Well, still in the academy, I think, and he played a game for Saris, and he he improved so quickly. At first, I went, "Oh God, mm. that guy's a bit of a liability," and then suddenly he was coming on, and then he was playing against Saris, where he went, "Oh, he's really, really good, and he's so exciting. He really is a yeah. guy that can shoot past he, players he and can give, break defences." Uh, Watson a really good run for his money now. I, I will be going to Sarri's uh, on Saturday and uh, and giving you a, a roundup on the new players. Who oh are yeah, you through. are. Well, it's the same can round, quick, different can name. we quickly cover one thing though? Argentina, Australia. Just sorry, very quickly. Australia, Argentina. Oh. It was another draw, sixteen all. Um, I didn't see that. I didn't see the game. Reese Hodge, the Australian Australian, missed lots of kicks. But I. They they dropped these three forwards for racism and Pablo Matera, and then they reinstated yes. them because they said, "Oh, it was immaturity." And I was being very, "Oh, what have we done? What's he ter- done terribly?" Thinking it was some minor thing. Was it racist? Was it not? It's just blatant, horrible racism from years back from Pablo Matera. But then they lost thirty nil to New Zealand, and they thought maybe we need to reinstate them. That's yeah. that awful. But, but, but I do think there's but a point here about how about the Argentinian authorities not being not clamping down on this. There there is a sort of attitude from some people in sport that you do something awful, and if you're great, if you're a great important player like Pablo Matera, like Suarez at Liverpool, when everybody defended him for being a racist, when you know, and a vampire when he used to bite players. Bite the, the the big I don't want to make this a big. You know, I'm talking about football now, I suppose. But that thing when we take footballers and if they do something horrific or they've got massive you know they beat their wives or whatever and they and people know lots of players who have done this and they get sort of forgiven and oh they're troubled because they're great at their sport rather than going that's outrageous you're a failure as a human being you're appalling you know because there's some old managers that have been um unsavory said some unsavory things and they've just been jettisoned from the game Mm. but if you're a young player and you're worth a lot of money to somebody you're rehabilitated or you're forgiven um i think it's you know I, i i think it's the same in any sport isn't it seeing as we're tweeting and post bagging and comments and what have you i'd like to just read out this comment um <laughs> that someone wrote um as a review of the amazon coverage uh it's it's one of these 
rants that you like. Yeah, yeah. 16 million to nick the coverage from the experienced broadcasters. Worthless. Please don't get any more coverages. You have taken us back 20 years. You can't record. You can't watch from the start. You can't play it anyway other than live on a Samsung TV. You really are appalling at displaying live international rugby matches. Get your technology right. I will rely on the highlights on terrestrial broadcasting in future. At least I can watch that at my leisure from a comfortable seat in my living room rather than the office chair in the study. I should expect no more from a yank company that wants to dominate the world Amazon covers the rugby yes in brown smelly stuff so that you can't enjoy it properly other than live you stink as bad as your rugby coverage do you think you got value for money because you are not delivering it to your paying customers I mean he's furious isn't he I like people who have that sort of certainty in their anger do you know what I mean because I I find I I want to be angry and then I check myself and go but maybe I'm being an idiot I love the little details. Like I can't watch it in the living room. I have to watch it in the seat in the study. Yes, we do, we digress. We've got to go back to tweets back to about back. last. Uh, yeah, people. Which country would you play for uh, to try oh, and yes. get international caps? Thing is, people. Someone That's said right. Malaysia. They've got loads of clubs. Malaysia's not bad. It's actually hard to find a country that's truly rubbish. How many? I looked clubs up do Malta. Malaysia. Three hundred. Somebody said Malaysia. So okay. So someone's gone. More uh, clubs in Scotland. They've got. Somebody had said Malaysia, and someone else uh, hoops at hoops B thirteen said Malaysia has three hundred clubs, more <laughs> than Scotland. Many people speak English there, and they have wonderful islands and beaches. So I'll be making my debut for them soon. See, that's cocky. I was, I yeah, they're obviously good. really good Very if they've arrogant. got three hundred clubs. See, so I we're looking for tiny places where rubbish people can play. You said it was. Yeah. Somebody said Calvin Coughlin, Liechtenstein, and someone said Andorra. Yes, can I bag Andorra country? What's this? Cal, can I bag Andorra, country, not Samantha's mum, as they only have about 200 <laughs> registered players and with a squad of, say, 30, one to seven chance of getting into the team? I'm intrigued that someone's called Andorra. Yeah, exactly. Country, not Samantha's mum. Is that someone Samantha's on the soap or something? Samantha's called Andorra. That's a name I've not heard before. But anyway, I don't know all the names. Um, so, so who said Liechtenstein? Uh, Calvin Coughlin said, how about Liechtenstein? Assuming... There are enough people to make up a team. There must be a good chance of getting in their national team. Now I've realised this, though. I assume it will now fill up with ageing Prem players. Still a nice place to live, though. I think the best place to... Just pick, you know, pick a small country that's, that's you know, Chad. not very good at rugby and you'll have a time of chance of playing. So I'm thinking Wales. <laughs> no, but that... <laughs> no, we've got to stop. We've got to stop picking on Wales. Oh, um, I don't suppose you'll get any comeback for that message. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us um, to ask us any questions, make comments, etc., you can email us at rugbyjubbly at dltentertainment.com or go to Twitter and uh, you'll find us at jubblyrugby um, or Instagram at rugbyjubblypodcast. Do get in touch and let us know your thoughts and we'll read it out and discuss anything that we think is salient. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, to our big talking point this week. This came to my attention and I... I was really shocked by it. I think it was on the BBC Rugby Pod. The reason this starts is Billy Vinopola was asked. I love Billy Vinopola, actually, in some ways, because he is quite honest in interviews. They asked, he's, he had a baby, and they asked him, uh, he said, I don't, do you think he'll be a rugby player? And he went, oh, well, my wife doesn't want him to play rugby. And I don't know, she's quite serious about it. You know, he sort of was joking, but sort of going, might be quite serious. They started talking about this on this pod. They asked Matt Dawson, Matt Dawson, World Cup winner, 2003, England, you know, great England scrum half. And he said, I don't want my kids to play rugby. He said it really seriously. I don't want my kids he, but, to play international rugby. He said, he, if they really wanted to, I would, but I will not, I will not encourage them too much to well, play top flight rugby. His ex-teammate, um, yeah. both England and Northampton, Steve Thompson, is yeah. now been diagnosed with um uh, on early onset dementia well that's uh, the thing I mean, he he cannot that... even remember winning the world cup uh, exactly no, and i think I, that's why no, it's, it's so only... shocked me though matt dawson saying that but he must have known that and that that hadn't come out yet do you know what i mean when he said that because it seemed so shocking but sorry you were saying i know but i mean um that 2003 side steve thompson if you think that um, rugby was turned professional in 1995. That's eight years later we won the World mm. Cup. And now loads of those players got injured. Um, yeah. uh, you know, Johnny Wilkinson, um, Ben Cohen, um, I mean, right across the board, there was, there was loads of them. Um, and a concussion was just part of that, wasn't it? If you, if that rugby used to come with that sort of thing of, oh, you just get on with it. You just get up and you put your head back in there and you just keep doing it. Now, it, it's obviously become completely unworkable in professional terms. You can't keep putting your head in those places. Mm. But I think up and up until, you know, those early professional teams just didn't have that science. They didn't have that data. Yeah. They must have known instinctively, this can't be good for me. You know, this yeah. can't be a good thing for me to do. But it's only now that they're actually seeing the results of that. I mean, early onset dementia at 42. I mean, that's just... That's oh, horrendous. Tough, the scientists say it's not necessarily how much you've been knocked out, how much you've actually had concussive incidences. It's... Here we go. Sorry, I've written this down from a Guardian article. Yeah. There is a conviction in the scientific community, all but unchallenged by critical, credible independent researchers, that chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, the disease once known as dementia pugilist, 
pugilistic, pugilistica, but now recognises the problem well beyond boxing, is not caused by those few events that trigger a concussion, but by the cumulative toll of repeated blows to the head. So you might right. e- not even seem to be concussed, but it's just banging your head solidly several yeah. times, many, many times. And that's really worrying. Well, the NFL, they say, are like years ahead of us. You know, they're like nine, ten years ahead of, of where we are with their research. Because they found that um, actually wearing that crash helmet and bashing people on the head was was moving the brain inside the skull mm. and hitting the brain on the onto the inside of the skull. And, and, the, and having the crash helmet was giving you the false impression that you were safe doing it, mm. whereas, you know, you're not. But I... I and, and people weren't getting they weren't getting knocked out doing it but it, it was just repeated that's how that was a that was a tackle technique in the yeah. NFL it was tackling with your head the the feeling seems to be that this is really really bad for rugby because um this might be an ongoing problem or was it a problem that they're now more aware I guess of guess you just have to accept the fact that it's a it's a tricky game i think i i mean i i if my son wanted to play rugby i would i would let him play rugby I mean, are the chances of getting to any sort of level where mm. you're playing internationally or professionally is just with, <laughs> with my genes so remote? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I have. Um, I, I don't. I mean, I had. I have a uh, godson who I have watched play rugby quite a few times, and he is. Uh, he plays uh, quite a few times. What am I talking about? I've seen him once. That's me pretending I'm a better <laughs> godfather. He lives in the Midlands. Maybe I've seen him twice. Yeah. I don't see his dad. Anyway, um, but he plays at fly half, but he's really tall and big, and I think he's a back row or or even maybe a lock in future. He's probably a flanker. And then I, I think, I don't know if... I've not spoken to his dad about this, whether I'd be less worried. If he's a fly half, you go, he's probably going to be fine. He's yeah. a fly... You know, but, but actually, it's so physical now in the back line... Maybe there isn't a position, you know. But and and also I you can't I, have a you can't have a sport where parents go. I don't want them playing in the scrum. You can't have actually. Oh, those are the really dangerous positions. Um, but well, I, that's I mean, always I th- been a thing. That's always been a thing. Like you know, if I if I'd have come home and said to my mum, "Oh, I've been picked at prop or hooker," yeah, I, you know, I can't imagine either of my parents going, "Oh, great," you know. Is is this? Yeah, sorry. I would just think that is is this really sexist? Because I've got daughters, and. I always, and I, my youngest particularly really liked rugby and she played tag rugby at school, but never, she really wasn't interested in playing. She's, they're just, mm. weirdly, they're not very physical, tough, bruising kids with a dad like me. <laughs> um, but I would, I wonder, I wonder if this is sexist of me because I have daughters. I'd be, <laughs> this is awful. I'd be more worried about a daughter playing rugby than a son because I, they might hurt their pretty face. <laughs> is that terrible? Yeah. That I was going, oh, but they're pretty. Whereas with the son, you go, doesn't matter if he gets his face rearranged. Or get a few scars. I, just, I mean, I've got yeah. so many scars on my on my body from playing rugby, and I and I wouldn't, I don't regret any of them. You know, I just yeah. think, well, it's sort of part of life. You know, maybe it's it's it'll be a thing of yeah. going. We have to cut down how much people get hit on the head, so they play I less, they train say- less. I think they've said now in junior rugby they they really do limit the contact. It, it's much it's much more around skills and playing with the ball, uh, less contact. But I mean, when I was young, I used to love the contact. That's that was the that was the thing yeah, I and, enjoyed. And from watching when I watched my godson we, play, that was like under fifteens at the time, I think, and or under fifteens, mm-hmm. under sixteens, and they tackle 
so much better than we ever tackled. I mean, so yeah. they really, there was some demon, t- there was a couple of flankers in this game that were hitting boys back, you know, really hitting people back in the tackle. And I went, if I'd been, if that was happening in the 80s, we'd have gone, oh my God, we'd have actually had, look at this monster that's, ta-. whereas we yeah. used to just be delighted to have fulfilled a tackle and brought someone down. Now this guy yeah. was hitting people back and he wasn't massive. He was just very powerfully built. And I went, that's like a 15 year old kid that can really hit hard. And you think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit like COVID this. You have to be just led by the scientists of going, what's the best way know, of making this? Who knows this? how and, long and that we will don't take? Believe. Who knows how long that will take? Right now, we're joined on the Rugby Jubbly podcast by um, author Dave Braley, who's written a fantastic new book. Um, it's called Chasing a Rugby Dream. He's co-written it with ex-Welsh international rugby player James Hook. Um, I believe it's already out in paperback and it's available in all good bookshops. Dave, are you there? I am indeed. Okay, that's great. Now, unfortunately, Dave, I'm going to have to disappear because of my technical issues I'm having. Um, So once again, it's Dan Skinner signing off, and I'll see you all next week on Rugby Jam. Bye, Dan. I'll I'll call you later for a big, big row over the technical problems. (laughs) (laughs) See you soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Anyway, sorry, Dave, this does sound very exciting. I mean, what's the what's the story of the book? What's the, I mean, how has it come about? Well, um, basically, James uh, James Hook was playing for Gloucester um, just before the the season before he came back to the Ospreys, which goes back three and a bit years now. And uh, his young lad Harrison was uh, invited to a school book fair, and uh, James just sort of said, "Yeah, crack on, go and get a rugby book." And there were none there. Um, so he didn't think so much of it. He just said, oh, don't worry, I'll get home, pop on Amazon and we'll get some there. And then he realized that there weren't really many uh, storybooks for rugby at all. There were plenty of, you know, on tour with the British Lions and uh, the history of rugby, that sort of thing. But there were no sort of storybooks. And um, so uh, he just had this idea, really, of creating a children's book loosely based on his own sort of uh, start of his, his youth career, really. Uh, anyway. Uh, two years past, he joins the Ospreys, sort of parked it at the back of his mind. And yeah. uh, we got a, a broadcaster, Swansea-based broadcaster called Matt Malpope, who's also a musician you might have heard of. And unbeknownst to both of us, Mal is a mutual friend. And he was telling Mal about it. And he said, well, look, mate of mine, Dave Braley, is a children's author. He's written... Um, I'd just written a cycling book called Champion of Champions. And he said, that sounds exactly the type of thing that, that you'd be doing for rugby. So literally within two days, we met. Um, a bit of a cliche, but we were on the page, the same page straight away, really. Um, and then that was it. We, we kind of chatted about it for probably about a week or two. So I understood exactly what, what he had in mind. Mm. Uh, and then it was a case of me then almost sort of interviewing James over the, the following sort of month to find out, because I'd never met James before. I was a big rugby fan, obviously, yeah. one of the best outside halves that the Wheels have ever had, really, um, but never met him. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to interview him on his life, uh, not so much his, his sort of successful rugby career, but on his formative career, because that was what we were going to base the book on, a, a kind of fictional uh, James Hook, who became Jimmy Joseph, who's the, uh, the main character in the book. He's got three uh, big friends, Kitty, um, Matt and Manu, and they are like rugby-obsessed 10-year-olds. And, and the book really uh, 
it's the idea is we've got uh, a two book deal with Polaris Publishers in Edinburgh, uh, uh, quite a renowned rugby publisher, and this is their first children's uh, series of books. Uh, and the idea is is to do one book to cover one rugby season for these uh, young people. So book one uh, is called Kickoff, and that follows them in uh, year five. Uh, of their primary school. And it's all about Jimmy being this incredibly talented young rugby player. Mm. Uh, but um, he kind of crosses swords when he, he kicks a rugby ball, basically hits his teacher on the head. And this new teacher doesn't take to Jimmy from that point. And he happens to be the rugby coach. Uh, he happens to believe that contact, contact, contact is the way that kids should play rugby and we shouldn't have any flair. Is he, is he we called Eddie any... Jones, this teacher? <laughs> couldn't possibly, jo- couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> That's what you should have called him. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it is going to be a series. Um, yeah, so, um, and that was it really. It was just sort of... Um, uh, highlighting the differences that can happen really when young children aren't encouraged for their for their skill and mm. sometimes in sports uh, coaches teachers whatever it might be and this isn't me assassinating coaches or teachers or anything like that it just happens sometimes that you get a coach that that goes for big and strong as opposed to you know tricky and, and clever really um, so yeah. that was the, the, the initial thought of the book um, and then James himself uh, suffered uh, still does suffer from asthma as a youngster uh, he wore glasses for short sightedness when he was was about eight. Um, so we wanted to put on the other thing. His parents got divorced when he was nine. So we wanted to, to show young people today that mm. just because somebody like James Hook ends up as a legendary rugby player, yeah. that doesn't mean that that everything for him has been has been easy. And and again, he was left out of teams when he was when he was younger because his, his elder brother Mike, uh, quite an accomplished rugby player in his own right, played for Newport. Um, when Percy Montgomery and Shane Howarth were playing for them. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and Mike was a couple of years older than James, and he made all the Welsh grade teams, the under-15s, under-17s, under-19s, all that stuff. And James actually didn't. So, again, it was – as soon as I heard all that, because I didn't know any of that prior, as a writer, I knew that's a really lovely angle to show that, you know, you're, you're always going to get that 10, 11-year-old kid who's going to be the, the captain of the team and he's good at everything or she's good at, at everything. But also, you must show young people that actually you may not peak until you're 15 or 16. So don't give up on your sport at 10 or 11, yeah. you know, Can- and, and sorry. Sorry, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to make this about me, but this really chimes <laughs> with me because we've spoken right. about this before. I I retired at kind of just sixteen because my I had a yeah. big knee problem, and I've always said I would have been great. Having said that, I was I wasn't playing county or anything. I was okay. I was never. Yeah. I was not the first team t- name on the school team sheet. I was playing club rugby a bit, but again, I wasn't a great player. So this is the sort of book I want to read because it would make me go, yes, it is true. Because that's so interesting. I didn't know that. I I tend to sort of assume everybody who's a big international was in all the age group teams and was always picked up at, at, at a young age and it yeah. is but of course you do forget that kids are massively different sizes at 11 12 13 14 they, you know there's that time when people just take off isn't there so yeah absolutely well what, what i do actually is, is alongside my writing i go into schools to do author visits um, and mine are always sport based because all my books uh, written seven books now um, a couple of autobiographies of people like ashley williams the wheels football captain and and i go in to try and, and show young people obviously there's going to be youngsters there that love this sport as we just discussed and they're going to mm. always be the captain but but i you know i know myself that there are so many young people that absolutely are obsessed with sport but for whatever reason they've not been given the ability to go and perform yeah. now that may be a temporary thing as we just mentioned about being big and tall yeah. when you're a bit older or whatever but it may just be that you're not it's like like me i can't paint i can't draw i can't do anything yeah. like that never never will be able to 
But it doesn't mean I can't, you know, really enjoy looking at paintings in galleries and so on. So that's the kind of idea I have when I go into schools is to to get young people to realize there's there's always a place for somebody in sport. Mm. You may not be the center forward. You may not be the captain or number eight. But maybe you could end up working for someone like the Ospreys if you're from Swansea. You may end up as a as a coach. You may end up as a physio. I don't know. But to, to give them that base of, of a belief, really. And I really absolutely believe reading for pleasure then is the link that I bring into a school and if I can do, deliver that through sport which I've done in the past and yeah. with James's books then I think it's a it's a no-brainer for everybody really and and this is what this book and this series is all about that's I think do you know what that's so brilliant and it also reminds me of something uh that thing of of uh you know being a coach but I thought in my mind every coach was always a pretty top player and I think it's the coach of Worcester, Alan Solomons. I think it's Alan Solomons, South African. And I just thought, I looked at him, went, did he play? And looked at him on Wikipedia. I don't think he ever played top-class rugby. He became a coach yeah. in his in his 20s. He went into rugby coaching yeah. and never played serious rugby. And I thought, God, that's, that's right. you know, I didn't think it's possible. But, yeah, no, that it's just that thing of it, it being so welcoming. And it's exactly um, that point you said about uh, James Hook's son uh, not being able to find a rugby you know, a rugby storybook. I was thinking, what what books did I read as a little kid? I was reading, I mean, this is because I'm quite old. Um, I remember Decade of the Dragon, which is about 1970s Welsh rugby and autobiographies of like Bill Beaumont and people like yeah. that. And you think that this, I just, I, I mean, I'm not just picking you up because you're on our podcast and, and, well, <laughs> and you're, carry on, carry such, on bigging up. <laughs> it's such a great idea. This is exactly what I'd have wanted as a, as a kid to read a rugby story that, that yeah. is so keyed into your stories. It's, it, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, you were saying, by the way, that you'd work with, is it Ashley Williams and Tony Ashley Williams, yeah. as well? Did you? Yeah, some? that's right. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you, who's nicer? Because I was <laughs> sorry, not of those two. But who's is are rugby players nicer than footballers? Come on, say rugby players are nicer. Right. <laughs> uh, obviously, we're going to generalise about everything. I must say, Ashley Williams is one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. He's a oh, great guy. Do you know, but, you're not going to write another book with him? So uh, no, no, I may do. I may do. <laughs> no, but, but what I was going to say is my background is football, right? So I played oh, football right. until I was 28 or whatever. Mm. Uh, I played rugby in school till I was about 14, mm. and. Just didn't like getting hurt, so I played. I was better at football anyway. But what I would say is that I think footballers tend to be, how can I say, more professional, if that makes sense. So this is where we're looking at things like the professional foul and rolling about and getting decisions from referees. And I think rugby players tend to to show a lot more honesty. And, and this came home to me about 10 years ago when uh, Wales were playing, I'm going to say England, but it was certainly a, a real high, high-level match. And mm. Scott, Cornell, Scott Cornell was captain of the, the Welsh team. And something had kicked off, and, and he went over to the referee, and the referee turned to him and said something like, step away now, captain. And he said, oh, sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. I just want to ask, sir. And I listened to that, and I thought, my God, if that was football now, which is my sport, really, you'd have 15 players around that referee. You could never put the, the mic on because of the swearing. Yeah. Um, so I think... On, on field, they, they are completely different in, in their approach. Um, but off field, I've got to be honest, everyone I've met, James, honestly, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He, he, is, he is so nice. But I just had great experiences. So uh, uh, across the board, uh, they, they've been good, thankfully. The sweetest one I could remember, Chris Chris Robshaw, the England captain. Yes. 20, uh, there's, it's about 2014, 2015. England are playing France in a top game. And uh, Nigel Owens is the ref. And... Um, and um, Robshaw goes uh, and he's giving a penalty against England and Robshaw goes but but they're doing this but they're doing that and Nigel Owens goes uh Christopher 
And he goes, sorry, yeah. sir. And walks back. Yeah, it's the funniest moment. Nigel Owens goes, uh, Christopher. And he just... I'm always looking out for football players being horrible. But then Marcus Rashford has just become oh, the biggest angel incredible. in the world with what he's doing. And just so incredible. I, yeah, and he's so young as well. That's what people forget. He's such a young man. You know, forget he's a footballer. Yeah. How many 22, 23-year-olds would, would have the, I don't know, the maturity really to, to do what he's doing? Well, that's the thing. When you get older and you see start seeing all these players as your kids, you go... How yeah. proud must his parents yeah. be that they've Absolutely. created this? But he's just, you know, all the pressure of being a footballer. And then he adds to that by being putting himself in a situation where he gets abuse for being political and has to speak mm. to politicians, all the rest. I just think he's. I just think he's absolutely unbelievable. What I wanted else to know is, as a very one eyed rugby fan, is it made clear where Jimmy Joseph is growing up? No, a little, little short story. When we got my agent, I got an agent called David Luxton, um, who's one of the, the, the best sports agents really for writers. And, and he'd read the book because obviously as soon as I knew James and I were going ahead with it and he loved it. And then he came back to us after about four or five months and he said, I just can't get anyone to bite. He said, and, and they love the book, but they're all saying, can't it, can't it be football? Can't we make this into a football oh. book? Which is a bit ridiculous because James Hook is rugby. So, on the one hand, you kind of th- feel I could be a bit deflated, but James and I realized, well, we knew that was the case anyway. And then we realized, well, we could actually, in the short term anyway, corner the market here on, on, exactly. a, on a really realistic rugby story for, for young people. Um, so David then uh, took that to Polaris in, in Edinburgh with, with Pete Burns. And on, in discussion with Pete, the one thing he said was he didn't want to label the book, whether it be a Welsh book, an English book, a Scottish book. He wanted it to be a rugby book. Mm-hmm. He actually wanted it to be that, um, you know, a, a child living in Australia might read this book and they could see the rugby story, not just a Welsh rugby player or an English rugby player and so on. Um, obviously, if you look into it, some of the, the, the names and surnames of people, uh, there's Welsh surnames in there and stuff. And uh, and it, it certainly does, if you know the area of Port Talbot, you recognise Port Talbot in it. But we purposely didn't name it uh, for, for that reason, really. We wanted it to be potentially a worldwide rugby book, not just a, a kind of parochial story, really. Is James Hook from Port Talbot as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody, all the greats in the world. I, yeah. I, I toured a few years ago with Rob Bryden. Oh, He's, you say Port Talbot. I thought it was Port Talbot. Sorry, I was very English about it. But, but <laughs> you start going through who's from Port Talbot, and it's just, you know, Rob Bryden, Anthony Hopkins, Richard Burton, Martin. Richard Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. I have a friend. Yeah. Um, I have a friend from, yeah, that's why I think it's Port Talbot. I have a friend, a comedian called Bennett Aaron, who's uh, from Port Talbot. And um, and he was uh, he's Jewish, and his fa- his parents because they I can't I think it's Friday night they can't do anything can they Jewish Jewish people can't do anything on the Sabbath or whatever and they were quite strict um, ob- observant Jews, and um, they used to have a boy come round to light their fire for them because they couldn't light the fire and that boy was Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> I'll give you a, a fun fact about Patel, but now mm. um, Blade Runner with Ridley Scott. Oh, yes. Uh, he basically, as a child, was taken to West Wales, would pass Patalba often at night because it would be a Friday evening. He mm. would see the steelworks, which were then, they're massive now, but they were really big then. Yeah. And he was just obsessed with how it looked on the way to holiday, on the way back. And he basically based Blade Runner on the view of Patalba steelworks at night. God. There you go. Because it is, it, it, it is a scary <laughs> looking place when you're driving. I think I've only been past it on the M4. 
you yeah. can see it and go, "Whoa, that looks that looks very industrial." It has got that. So it's this. So, it I has, but the funny thing with, with James, uh, we're doing a project at the moment with a local housing association called the Talbot Local Heroes, and and Hopkins Sheen and um, Burton. I, I worked with the children on writing about them in before COVID, and now James has been added to it, and we're working now from this point on for the next year. Uh, and just last week, I interviewed uh, James for this project on his sort of feelings for coming from an industrial town, mm. because the idea is we want to get young people to realize you can't really help from you know where you're born, but mm. we've all got ideas, we've all got uh, ambitions and inspiration, aspiration. And when James spoke about, in particular, the steelworks, because a lot of his family worked there, it was really emotional because... I think they see it as a, as a, a thing of pride because it's given the town its its name. It's given it obviously its wealth and, and its uh, its yeah. uh, economy really. Um, and I, as a Swansea boy, very similar. I would drive past it, be in awe of the size of it, but that would be yeah. it really. Yeah. But coming from the town, people they're generally proud, which is lovely. And and uh, you know it's been faced with closure many times in recent years, and we just hope that that never really happens because the impact would be would be devastating really. Will there be a movie off the book? Are you going to end up in Hollywood? Oh, can you imagine that? That's everybody's dream, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, the funny thing is, you know, as you know, in, in your life, it, it only takes one person, an influence to maybe hear this podcast, just see a, a review and then they get interested. And, and the odd thing is, and I spoke to James about this, is that, you know, this is ridiculous what I'm about to say, but mm. for all we know, Steven Spielberg loves rugby, right? And yeah. it would only ever come out when, in four years' time, the film is made, and he says, "Well, I, I could never find a kids' book about rugby." Now, it, it's uh, and I live in that world, Brian. I live in that world of optimism, where I just think, "Well, the book's out there. You never ever know whose desk or whose whose lap that book is going to land in." And we just uh, it's like you with comedy, with sitcoms yeah. and everything. But it's just one day you hope that it's going to get to the right person and uh, ride that wave when it comes there. I've never heard of another book like this, and I so love the idea of it. I don't know Brilliant. what I, I know. It's not aimed at fifty-one-year-old men that were never very good at rugby. <laughs> But I think it's such a such a brilliant idea. So um, thank you very much for that, Dave. That's fantastic. No, and, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for coming on. It's been brilliant. It's been brilliant. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's brilliant. Right. So that's that's about it for our fourth podcast uh, of Rugby Jubbly, our fourth episode. If you do want to buy Dave's book, it's in all good bookshops and also at Amazon or PolarisPublishing.com. You can buy it online. It's called Chasing a Rugby Dream, James Hook and Dave. Dave Braley have written it. Um, so do, yes, do get that. I just think it's a brilliant idea. If you also want to contact us on anything that we've talked about, you can um, email us at rugbyjubbly at dltentertainment.com, tweet us at at jubblyrugby, or you can get us on Instagram at rugbyjubblypodcast. Thank you for listening. It's goodbye from me, and Dan will also be waving goodbye, but he's technically uh, a bit of a disaster. Goodbye! <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.